In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm your host, Amy Carroll, and I'm happy to be here with you. If you missed last week's show, I interviewed my brother, Kevin Carroll, a former advertising executive. Now, for the last 10 years, he's been pursuing his dream of creating games. So in the first half of the show, we talked about Kevin's business evolution and the partner payoff in his latest business adventure as a very successful board game designer. In the second half of the show, we talked about the payoff to being partner and the price when we're not. And I got to tell you, there are some juicy stories in there. You can listen to that interview on my website, carolcoaching.com, my podcast series, or go directly to voiceamerica.com on the business channel. On today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by executive coach and author, Ann Taylor. Welcome, Ann. Thank you. Great to be here, Amy. So before we jump in, Ann, I want to give the audience a bit of background on you so they know who they're listening to. So Ann Taylor is the founder of Directions Coaching Limited and author of the book, Soft Skills, Hard Results. Ann left her global marketing role at Nestle Confectionery in Switzerland and retrained as an executive coach after both of her parents died unexpectedly 22 weeks apart. It was this experience that opened her eyes to the power and the importance of emotional intelligence in work and life. Originally from Canada, Anne worked and lived in Switzerland, which is where she and I met, and now she lives in London, England, and works virtually around the world. Anne coaches smart, results-driven professionals to achieve greater and more satisfying success. Her extensive client list includes FTSE Fortune 100 companies around the world, such as Nestle, Deutsche Bank, Ford, as well as London Business School, to name a few. This year, she's spending much more time indulging her love of reading, writing, and cooking, unfortunately not entertaining guests at the moment, offset by Pilates and power walking. When able to roam free, the British countryside is where she can be found with her hiking group and enjoying fun adventures like treetop climbing. So, Anne, <laughs> we got to start there. What the heck is treetop climbing? It's sort of like an obstacle course between trees above the ground. Holy smokes. It's amazing. It, you're harnessed in, so it's really safe. You don't feel like you're going to fall. But if you don't like heights, it's not the place to be. Okay, so that leads me to my first question then. Did you ever do, did you do it more than once? Oh, I've done it many times, yes. Okay, all right. Then in that case, I'm really curious to know, have you ever done it with someone who does have a fear of heights? Definitely. One of my good friends and a coaching colleague uh, is very afraid of heights. Her daughter was invited to a kid's birthday party at one of these treetop adventure climbing places. So she had to do it. So she wanted her to expose her daughter to it before the birthday party okay. because her daughter had inherited her fear of heights. Oh, so interesting. I two of them out one afternoon and we did the course. Went remarkably well. 
Uh, so the I'm, tenure, I'm guessing you put on your coaching hat when you're doing this. Sometimes I did, yes. Okay. Um, when I was trying to work with the daughter, she was 10 years old at the time, mm-hmm. to overcome her fear, essentially. And um, walk me through, what were some of the things you did where you put on your coaching hat and helped her? Things like, imagine what success looks like when you've mm-hmm. gone through this obstacle course to the next sort of safety landing zone. So literally visualizing. Yeah, visualize that you get through whatever it is mm. safely, easily, and with a bit of fun, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. Um, also with her mother of, you know, what is the language going on in your head right now mm. when you're climbing up the ladder to get on the, onto the course? Yeah. What's going through your head when you see your daughter doing this? What of those thoughts are helpful and which aren't? Mm-hmm. So that must have been cool. It comes in pretty handy, you know, having these coaching skills. You never know, even at the height of the top of a tree. Exactly. <laughs> to me, coaching is kind of a way of being in the world, not just yeah. a profession. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So I want to jump into this book that you wrote. I just love the title. I Soft do, skills, too. Heart, heart results. Did, you, did that come to you all of a sudden or... It was the title I used all through the program of writing it. Uh-huh. I never thought I could actually use it because I thought it was copyrighted by someone already. <laughs> and then at the end when I was like, now I really need to think about the title. It was like, no, you can actually use that. My publisher said, yep, you can use it. And I'm like, this is gold. So I feel mm-hmm. like it was just meant to be. Yeah, you must have heard angels singing. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you describe the book as a pragmatic guide to people skills for analytic, task-focused, driven leaders. So I want to know, um, I think one for me, when I, as I was reading, I was just reviewing it the other day, what really jumps out is the significant element around emotional intelligence and people skills. So for the listeners, how would you define emotional intelligence and people skills? Emotional intelligence was a term coined by Daniel uh, Goldman years ago, designed, it's really four components, being aware of your own emotions and able to manage them, and being aware of other people's emotions and being able to manage social interactions. Mm-hmm. That's emotional intelligence. And to me, people skills are kind of an introductory step to emotional intelligence. People skills are the skills you use regularly when interacting with other people. So I want to add a layer onto that because you know me really well. You know I use a, this model of predator-prey partner quite a bit that my sister Pat Kirkland developed. And so I want to share my shorthand definition of this model because we'll be going back and forth probably during the discussion. So these are three archetypes. And most of the time, most of us are behaving as partners. And the definition of partner is I'm holding high respect for myself, high respect for the other, all is well. The problem under pressure, stress, perceived threat, crisis, COVID, or just if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? We can slip into one extreme or the other, the predator or the prey. So the predator, she shows too much respect for herself, not enough for others. And this is dangerous because if I'm coming across as arrogant or rude or aggressive, even regardless of whether it's my intention or not, that can damage relationships. By contrast, the prey, P-R-E-Y, is usually a really nice person and tends to hold too much respect for others, not enough for themselves. 
And this is particularly dangerous. Not only can they damage their credibility, getting results. Worse than that, it can trigger even, even nice people, even reasonable people become predator towards us. So for me, the people skills is this sweet spot between these two extremes. If you think of it on a continuum, partner. And it means stepping into partner before you need it. Stay in, in partner when the going gets tough and remain in partner even if you don't get what you want. And what Pat has done, she's broken it down to a series of very, very specific behaviors, body language, voice, words that communicate high respect to yourself, high respect for the other. So um, we'll be playing with that as we're uh, talking. Great. In, in fact, I'm curious to know, um, well, I'm going to ask you a little bit later because I really want the listeners to hear your own challenges with um, the be, is holding emotional intelligence and people skills. In fact, do you want to go ahead and tell that story? I know you were saying there's something that was related to when you were writing this book. One of the pivotal parts of this book for me was getting endorsements. Uh-huh. So I didn't really understand that you needed the endorsements at the time that the book was finished and ready to go to the publisher. My publisher told me that, but it didn't really register. My focus was on getting the book written and written well. So all of a sudden, when it was due for submission, I realized I need endorsements and I don't have any. Oh, gosh. And I really only had a week, maybe two weeks. Oh, my. Where I needed to go out and ask people, can you read the book? Mm -hmm. If you're confident and comfortable with the book, would you be willing to write an endorsement? And for me, sending those emails out, because that's, that's the avenue I chose, um, given the timing as well as uh, time zone changes with various people, it was really important for me not to be prey or victim. Yes. And kind of say, oh, I'm so sorry. I really apologize. I wish yeah. I would. And, and really put myself down for not being on top of this. And, and it was, I, saw, I heard it was important to you. How challenging was it to not slip into prey? It was definitely challenging because mm. I felt a bit embarrassed or sh- ashamed that I hadn't understood earlier that this is what I would need mm-hmm. and that I really needed to ask favors of people. Um, one of my lessons has been about asking for help. Yeah. And That's so a this, one for a lot of people. And for me, that is partner asking for what you need. Yes. Yeah. Agree. In a way that isn't groveling. Right. Yeah. And not manipulative. Like, well, you know, it's not my fault and I didn't know it's my first book and, you know, not laden with guilt. Exactly. So writing those emails of saying, you know, acknowledging, I know it's short notice. Nice. And I'm really hopeful that you'd be able to assist me with this. And then went on and asked for the favor and then attached the PDF of the book. And the other thing I'm hearing is that you asked without a sense of pressure on them, even though you were feeling the time pressure. You're like, I really hope you'll do this for me. And, you know, if you can't, you can't. Yeah, I I put in a line, something along the lines of, and I understand that it is short notice. Mm -hmm. If you're able to do it, great. If you're not, no worries. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to ask because I value your opinion. Very classy. Oh, yeah. So then you set it up. It's a compliment and there's no guilt attached if the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sent that out to enough people that I was hopeful to get some back. 
I sent it out to people who had been test readers for me. So they didn't have to read the whole book because they've read the book already. So that, you know, made it a bit easier as well. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, I got responses from pretty much everybody I asked. Wow. There, There was even one individual, he says, I haven't been able to read the whole thing. I've dipped in and out to parts. These are a few lines that came to mind. If you want to put it together into something, I'm totally open to that. So even people that couldn't meet the timing still wanted to help, which I also really appreciated and recognized that most people in the world do want to be helpful if they can. Yes, very true. Because selfishly, it makes us feel good when we can help other people. And you made it easy for them to want to help you. I hope so. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Was there any part of this uh, scenario situation where you were, there was a, your inner predator, predator was wanting to come out a little bit? Within the endorsements, no. In other aspects of publishing, yeah, there was a few moments where time crunch was there and what was delivered to me wasn't what I had expected or asked mm. for. And I thought I had been very clear with my expectations and I definitely wanted to rip a strip off somebody, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And part of the work of this book is to recognize when that's going on yeah. and to practice what I preach. Yeah, exactly. You're really walking your talk. You know, like. <laughs> I say the book, you know, my mess is my message. Things that I've had to learn oh, have been the good. message. My within this book is my message. <laughs> I'll be quoting that. That's very true for me. Yeah. Mm. So it was really okay. I need the result of hitting this deadline. How do I do it in a way that's going to help me deliver that result as opposed to just satisfying my ego? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well done. In the book, and very early on in the book, you talk about the impact of the, the, the people skills and emotional intelligence to the bottom line for better and for worse. How does people skills affect profit and loss? It's always an interesting question because many of the people that I work with, as well as the people the book is directed towards, think people skills or soft skills are fluffy. They're just nice to do. They're not really important. However, they actually impact every line on the P&L. You don't see one line that says soft skills. They're pretty much in every line. Yeah. So an extreme example is the easiest way to, to illustrate the argument. If you've got a manager who walks out into an open plan office and berates a staff member for doing something wrong, the productivity impact of that is huge for the individual who's being yelled at, but also for everybody else in the open plan. Yes. As well as later on when they all get together to talk about what a jerk the boss is for having done that. Mm -hmm. So productivity is part of your profit and loss. Absolutely. And when a manager does that type of thing, it decreases the productivity. It means less work is getting done. And frankly, a lot of time is lost for that employee during the time of being yelled at, but also afterwards of how they feel. Do you think that person's going to bring their best, most innovative self to the work? No, No, you lose, potentially lose a lot of their loyalty and their willingness to go above and beyond. They might just do the bare minimum. 
Also, what you said about colleagues, I believe that the trust is not just, oh, I feel sorry for Frank because he got yelled at by the boss. It's, oh, that could happen to me. If he did it to Frank, he could do it to me. So then there, there's a loss in energy and focus for every employee who hears about that or witnesses it because there's the concern of, am I next? I could be next. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's harder on the flip side to say, you know, does someone, a manager who's inspiring, how does that equate to higher productivity? That's harder to measure. Mm-hmm. The reality for most business managers, most leaders, most employees is in the middle. They're not berating their employees and they're not necessarily inspiring their employees. They're just kind of average. Mm. And so it's how do you help those people inch towards inspiring, motivating, and influencing? Um, Yeah, let's talk about some of that. Off the top of your head, what are the things that when you're working with your clients that you find are important areas to focus on? The first thing is focusing on themselves. What impact are they having mm-hmm. and becoming very aware of that impact? Yeah. So where are they on that spectrum from berating to inspiring? Yeah. Where are they? And luckily, I work with some really successful and talented people. They're towards the higher side. Mm. The thing is, how do you make it even a point or two higher and do it consistently, yes. especially when you're tired, stressed, <laughs> under pressure, as you say. Right. So, yeah, it's, we're not talking about on the easy days. We're talking about on the tough days. Yeah. Yeah. Have on it. the easy days, it's easy to be much more conscious, to be much more intentional about your mm. impact. On the hard days is when it really matters. Yeah. And we've experienced that these last six months, actually, with COVID. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do a lot with my clients is I'm always encouraging them to look at how they're showing up in their personal life and obviously business life. So not just their business life, because my feeling is you're the same human being. And if you can flex your muscles under pressure with your toddler or your teenager or your (laughs) parent-in-law, you're going to be those that those that muscle building pays off and that can help you in a professional environment as well. Do you also see that in your coaching? Yes. I have an expression. How you do something is pretty much how you do everything. Yeah. How you show up at work is often how you'll show up at home. Yeah. If it isn't, I get really curious on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Are you wearing a mask in one location or the other? Mm-hmm. Is there a facade going on? And it's great to look at, both circumstances, because in some respects, you can bring learning from one into the other. You can bring skills from one into the other. One example I often use with clients who have children is when their child first starts to walk, they take that one or two tentative steps, and then typically they fall flat on their face. Does the parent sit there and scold them for having (laughs) failed, for not being good enough and making it across the room? No. Parents sit there and cheer and celebrate, take pictures. Do that with your staff. Mm -hmm. If they fall, celebrate the effort Mm -hmm. and what they had done up to that point and then help to pick them up and tell them that they'll do the next few steps better. Yeah. It's really funny. I was just speaking with a client yesterday who we were talking about, she said, yeah, you know, sometimes I can be very directive and very predator. 
And I said, is there someone in your life who you feel like you're just always partner with? And she said, oh, my daughter and my, and my little girl. And you could just see this huge smile come across her face. I said, well, let's consider that when you're in a state of stress, you know, I, I call it cut, uh, well, cut and paste. Um, there's another term for it. Um, maybe it'll come back to me later where this woman talks about um, how showing how I am in my ideal situation. Let me pretend that's how I am with everyone. Yeah. The term I would use for that is, you know, when you're being your best self, because mm-hmm. we kind of know sometimes where we've got that sweet spot, we're being our best self. It feels right. good. The impact's positive. When you're being your best self, how would you do it? Yeah. And step into that in absence of anything else. Yeah. I cut you off. What did you just say? If you don't know what to do or Mm. you're struggling, step into what you think your best self would do when you don't have any other options. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. And then you will know what to do. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to add around the challenges to the bottom line or ways to improve the bottom line around people skills? I'll I'll give another short little example. Salespeople, they have to have good people skills. They need to build relationships with their customers if they want ongoing business. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can be very transactional and maybe a bit predator to get what you want. That's not going to sustain a company long term. So if you're ever wondering what the impact of good people skills are, look at successful salespeople. They are an exact uh, illustration of delivering sales or top-line income to a company or an organization. If they're not good, you're not going to be delivering that. And that's a definite, tangible PL line. Yeah. And when I look at it through the lens of Predatory Partner, what I'm hearing imagining is that that salesperson is holding high respect for themselves and for the other. Yes. Whether it's eye contact or smile or using the person's name or letting themselves be interrupted or acknowledging if they made a mistake. Also upbeat energy, all these very tangible behaviors. And from an organizational perspective, the win-win philosophy. My company would like sales because of this. Your company needs something that moves your agenda forward. How can we do that to be mutually beneficial? Mm-hmm. You know, my background in confectionery, why should a grocery store list a new chocolate bar? Well, I wanted them to because it was our chocolate bar. What was the reason for them to do it was that we would be creating demand that consumers would want to go in and be looking for this chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. So they would be making profit as well as having a good selection for customers. So the, the, the old what's in it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You uh, talk a lot about good and bad um, emotional intelligence around giving feedback, receiving feedback, having difficult conversations. Give me some of your thoughts around that. So many people, when you say, well, give, you know, give feedback, they get paralyzed almost deer in the headlights. Mm hmm. Because the assumption is that giving feedback is telling someone that they're not very good. Yeah. And that's the first mistake, so to speak. Giving feedback can also be pointing out to someone something they do very well. That's giving positive feedback. If someone's doing something poorly, wouldn't you like to help them be better 
do better, being less frustrated potentially. And so instead of looking at feedback as a bad conversation that has to be had, that's going to make someone feel bad, how do you position it so that they feel good at the end of the conversation? Yeah. You know, something that uh, I want to refer to a quote that I came across in your book that really spoke to me. And it's, a, it's somewhat related to giving feedback. Living a life of no regrets this is towards the end of your book when you really get into the, the, um, the very inspirational elements. Living a life of no regrets, one example is to strive for clean relationships. When things need to be said for another's benefit or your emotional well-being, you have to have a conversation. And that really speaks to a, a value of mine around the importance of honest, clear feedback. And, and we're just going to take a break in a moment, though. That also, and if you have more on feedback, we can talk about it. It also speaks to something else you said in the book, which really rang true to me. If you are angry or frustrated, the chances are that a value or something dear to you has been dishonored or is getting stepped on. Now, if you're feeling joy or fulfillment, the chances are that that value is being honored. So I love this idea of using my emotional state, if I'm feeling angry or frustrated, to like on my values radar to search my honesty value or my play value or something. And that it, it helps me to imagine uh, control, you know, being, having that self-awareness that you talk about in the importance of emotional intelligence. So thank you for saying that. That's really beautiful. So we're going to take a break and we're going to be back in a few minutes with Ann Taylor. Please join us shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Call into the program today with questions or comments or your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to share. 
The toll-free number in North America is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Hi, this is Amy Carroll, and you are back with Partner Up with Amy Carroll. My guest is Ann Taylor, an executive coach, and we're talking about her book she wrote, Soft Skills, Hard Results. Folks, you're going to want to get a copy of this book, and you've got a couple options. You can go directly to Ann's website, directions-coaching.com, or you can check it out on Amazon. And now, I normally wait to the end of the session to tell you your call for action. I can already tell you now, call for action when you go to Anne's website and check out her book, she will, um, she's offering readers an opportunity to download the first chapter for free. And that's all the whole chapter is about self-awareness. So if you do nothing else, download that chapter and do the workbook part of that. So Anne, uh, went, before the break, we were talking about giving feedback. So um, what was the next thing you had on your mind that you wanted to share? In terms of feedback, one thing I suggest to people is just have a model, a simple model for giving feedback. There is one available on my website. There's one in the book. There's many you can Google as well. They're typically very easy, three or four steps. Get a model so that you have a framework to lean on in the times where you feel stressed about giving it. The model I recommend can be used for positive feedback or constructive feedback. So it's a good mm. one to learn. Yeah, it's re- I, I was playing with you the other day and I was thinking how it's, it's very thorough without being overwhelming to hold on to. Yeah, yes, very simple. So learn a model because if you kind of have a framework, it's a lot easier to be able to execute it. Yeah, and something I wanted to say about uh, oh, it was really funny um, for the sort of listeners. This is a little backstory. When Anne and I met a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the interview and what we do, and just out of nowhere, I was so proud of myself. I said, "So Anne," um, and I think it's probably because I had just been rereading her book and part of feedback. I said, and I spontaneously asked her to give me feedback after the radio show. I said, if, and, and even in between after we were preparing, and this is something. I really encourage you to do, and Anne, I'm sure that is the same for you, is make it easy for the people in your life to give you, especially the constructive feedback. And, you know, because especially for someone like me, I want to be, have honest communication and speak my truth. I also want other people to do it, even if it's hard for me to hear. And so one of the things when I'm coaching people, I say, okay, here's a question. for you to ask your, you know, let's say it's a a senior person, because the higher you go in the organization, the scary it is to give feedback to those people, even if they're like really nice people. And so I say on a regular basis, at least once a month, say to ask people, what do you need to tell me that you don't want to tell me? Great question. Right. And I said, and you know what they're going to say? Nothing, 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 got nothing. Nope. (laughs) And then you're going to ask them again in two, three or four weeks again. So Joel, what do you have to tell me you don't want to tell me? Uh, no, nothing. No, nothing. And then maybe if you're really lucky, the third time, say, hey, checking in again. What do you need to tell me you don't want to tell me? Maybe that person will tell you. 
And this is the other piece around emotional intelligence. You got, as soon as they say it, you got to keep your mouth shut and just say, okay, thanks. I'll consider it. So just because someone's giving you feedback or advice or suggestions doesn't mean you have to accept it or implement it. Though, if you choose not to, you should go back to that person and say, hey, Joel, I know what you um, was thinking about what you were suggested last week, blah, blah, blah. And I've thought about it and I decided not to do it for this reason. And thank you very much for giving me that feedback. I appreciate your input and I hope that you will share your suggestions again. And, and of course, the challenge is when somebody says something that we disagree with or we're upset about to not go predator and not, well, hey, on, you know, Sarah did that last week. No one's, you know, so nothing, no pointing fingers, because if we get nasty, as you know, Ann, that might be the last time that person ever gives us feedback. One of the things I cover in the book is where to give and receive feedback. Yeah. And there's actually an image of kind of a bullseye. Often people will take feedback, especially if it's critical, they'll take it in an identity level. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're telling me I didn't do that well. I must be a bad person. Mm. If you can remember to give feedback at a behavioral level Mm -hmm. and receive it at a behavioral level, that makes it a lot easier. Same thing again, you know, alluding to children. You don't say your child's a bad kid for having done something. You say their behavior was inappropriate. Same thing at work. Give feedback around behavior. And if you're getting feedback from somebody else, ask for the behaviors. So what was it I said or what was it I did that gave you that impression so Mm -hmm. that I know what to work on? Yeah. Something that you just made me think of when you said that is uh, there's this phrase that, and and tell me if you agree with this, Anne, you might not. When I'm giving someone feedback, maybe I'm upset about something and maybe I think they did something on purpose. So instead of saying, hey, Jeff, um, you know, you cut me off in the meeting and, uh, and you were you know, you, you were really rude or something like that. I might say, Jeff, um, the other day in the meeting, when you were, when I was speaking and you started speaking, I, the story I made up was that you were really eager to, no, 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 that's, that's a positive. Um, the story I made up was that you were wanting to shut me down. So I don't know if it's true if Jeff was, attempting to shut me down by me just adding this little cushion the story I made up I'm letting Jeff know I don't know if this is true or not Jeff I'm checking it out with you so that is a nice way to cushion a message and the person might get a little less defensive if you just add that piece what are your thoughts on that one Anne? definitely agree the other wording that I'll suggest to people sometimes is you know I've made an assumption I don't know if that's true yeah. I've assumed you were trying to shut me down. Let me know what your real intention was. That. Yeah. And then they can either confirm or actually fill in what their true intention was. And the thing is, if they're not willing to say it, say it really was the case, except they're not willing to admit that. I understand that. So just by you confronting in this calm way, you're also letting Jeff know, hey, Jeff, that wasn't cool, buddy. Yeah. Well, you've so, been seen. 
Yeah, you're, you know, you're being assertive and, and it may still get the results you want, even if Jeff doesn't cop to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, nice. So um, I'm curious to know if you, you talk about self-doubt. And I'm curious to know how that is related to leadership and communication. Interestingly, there was a study done a few years ago that showed the top five fears of bosses were all around self-doubt. Things like imposter syndrome, making mistakes, um, underachieving, being seen as, you know, wrong or the the number one with CEOs was this imposter syndrome, not being good enough. Oh, my gosh. And when people who aren't CEOs hear that, they're like, really? Those people look to be the most confident people out there. We all have these these voices in our heads, whether you call them a saboteur, an inner critic, a gremlin. We all have voices in our head. Some of them are great, supportive and positive, and a lot of them aren't. Yeah. And that's a little bit about what my first chapter talks about, too, is what is the script running through your head when you are under pressure or nervous or questioning yourself? What is the script that's going? And how do you flip that switch, that script to serve you better? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, when I read that uh, around CEOs with imposter syndrome, it, it, there was this relief because it's like, oh, I'm not the only one. Cause, and I see that whenever I do something new or whenever I have a coachy doing something new, whether it's a personal sports challenge or uh, a new business role, many, many, many people feel like a fraud or an imposter. Yeah. And I've just gotten used to that. That's a given. That now, maybe it's not going to happen to everyone every time. Though I just think, oh, like, you know, when I was first, before I started doing the radio show, I started doing Facebook Lives a couple of months before I even knew I was going to be doing the radio show. And with Facebook Live, you know, it's it's you and you're not getting any feedback. And even though you are getting chatting, there's just you talking to kind of like a black hole. That's the feeling I had. And the first two Facebook Lives I did, I was sweating profusely. And I remember getting off and I was like, oh my God, I hated that. I never want to do that again. And my social media woman was like, Amy, you did great. You did great. <laughs> she that kind of picked me up off the floor. And, and, and I knew I was really faking it during those first couple ones. Then by the third one, I was like, oh, I got this. I know I'm just going to be me talking, no one else. And I was gobsmacked how much easier it got so quickly. And then, of course, I get this opportunity to do the radio show. I was like, oh, thank God, I've been doing the Facebook Live. (laughs) I can do the radio show now. So even though there's still a little bit of imposter syndrome, there's a reminder of, oh, I'm doing something new. And, And as you talk about so beautifully, we both talk about the stepping out of your comfort zone. And when we step out of our comfort zone into the learning zone, to the stretch zone, we're creating new neural pathways. And that's naturally not going to feel comfortable or authentic in the beginning. That's often the positive role of a, of a saboteur and a critic. It's to keep us safe. Yes. 
the problem is it doesn't know when you're stepping outside your comfort zone for something that you choose to, for a point of growth or development, a healthy stretch. Its whole role is to keep you small and safe and protect you because often that inner critic originated in your childhood and it was designed to keep you safe. Yep. When you now are an adult and you're choosing to step into your stretch zone and to learn and grow, you have to remind that voice that they're not needed then. Thanks for helping me out when I was little or in a situation that was dangerous. Thank you. And this one I'm actually choosing. Yeah, I, um, in fact, I've got, I think, a newsletter and maybe a video of writing a letter to your inner critic. And, you know, just say, dear inner critic, thank you so much. Really been super, really took care of me. I got it covered now. Go have a spa day. (laughs) You know, because that awareness will help move it from that paralyzing fear and stress to, oh, that's my inner critic. So just creating a bit of space there. Yeah. Nice. So um, I want to take a few minutes to share a story with the listeners of a time when, because you talked earlier about emotional intelligence and people skills. Well, sometimes I'm, I'm not, not always at my best. <laughs> and this, this, Anne, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about the train conductor. Does that ring a bell? Yes, it does. Oh, it does. Okay, good. So you will remember then that I was, uh, so let's say it was 9 p.m. at night. I was leaving the town of Montreux, you know, which is a short distance from where I live in Veve. And I was leaving a class heading to the train station. And when I looked at my watch, I realized I only had three minutes. And so I had to like race to the train station. Now, I got to the train station and in the far, far distance, I could see the train on the platform, except there was another probably minute and a half dash to the train and it was already past the time the train was supposed to leave. So for whatever reason, I was just decided this was a a sign from the heavens, the train was still there and I went for it and I ran as fast as I could. And shortly before getting to the end of the train, the very last train car, I saw the conductor get out. He turns, he looks at me, he sees me, he blows the whistle, and then he gets back in the train. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He's leaving without me. Are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? You know, so I got really annoyed, except I was in such a, such a forward motion. I just kept running. And sure enough, I made it to the last train car. I hit the door. The door opened. Now, the train's like probably should have left four minutes before at this point. And I hop in. <sighs> you know, huffing and puffing, and I sit down, and I'm thrilled. And I I said, okay, Amy, what do you want to do when the train conductor comes? I said, okay, I'm just going to be playful partner with him Um, because he's probably feeling a little embarrassed that I'm going to be on this train that he wasn't, he didn't think I was going to make it. And so when he comes to the train car, I stand up and I start walking towards him. And with very playful energy in my voice, I say to him in French, thanks for waiting for me. And he says, I didn't want to wait for you. (laughs) I mean, and I felt like the man had slapped me. And that was all I needed to just, I just went sheer predator on him. And I said, um, some, I I made some snarky comment about how, you know, he, 
he was totally disrespectful. And then he insulted me and then I insulted him. And then I'm like, oh my, and there's only one other train guy in the, the whole train car. And he's like right stand, sitting right where we're yelling. And I'm sure he's like, yeah, I don't really want to be here. And, and at some point I'm like, Amy, get a grip, you know, pull up girl, pull out a predator. And so I attempted and then he wasn't having any of it. And he just kept snarking at me. And so we just went right back down to predator, the two of us. And the only thing that saved me was the fact that the train ride was only a six minute train ride. So I got off the train. And as soon as I got off the train, my inner critic was like, Amy, Marie, Carol, who do you think you, you, you call yourself a communication coach. That was a point. And, and the worst part, I don't know if you remember this part. It was Julie's yoga class that I was coming. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I went predator on a conductor after a yoga class. I mean, I felt like there's no hope for me. And so then I, I'm walking home and my inner critic is just full blown, just ripping me apart, you know, and and I'm like, oh, this is going to be what it's, this is what my internal conversation is going to be for the next two or three days, because I hold myself to a high standard and if I can't do it, I shouldn't expect other people to do it. And so I, I was just sort of succumbing to the fact that this was, I was going to have a bad couple of days. And then out of nowhere, I thought of something called nonviolent communication, which I know you know about. And for listeners, it's just this fascinating, I call it, it's a way to have emergency self-empathy. And you think about what are you feeling? What are you needing? So I thought about what I was feeling and I was like disappointed and frustrated. And my need was to be playful, to be engaging. And often my strategy to be playful with, uh, to, to, no, excuse me, my need was for connection. And my, often my strategy for connection with people I know and with strangers is to be playful. So that, and it all went to, as my mom likes to say, hell in a handbasket. So I was especially disappointed because I I felt like I had good intentions and they weren't being recognized. I think that was the other other need I had, you know, is to not be seen. And even though it wasn't getting me off the hook, the intention was not to justify my behavior. It was simply to help me understand what was going on. And it immediately calmed me down. Now that calming down also made me say to myself, hey, you know, Amy, if that were to happen again, you're in a situation with someone and they went predator on you or, you know, a train conductor, how could you have stayed partner? So I was already walking home analyzing, how can I be better next time? Then a few days later, I went and I was giving a training and I told the story to the class. And by then, we were then exploring from the train conductor's perspective, what might he have been needing and wanting? And one thing I've learned is that train conductors in Switzerland are under a lot of pressure because they will lose bonuses, if I've got this right. If they have too many delays throughout the year, then they miss out on bonuses. So there's a certain amount of pressure that he's under. I'm also guessing that he felt pretty embarrassed and stupid that I that he had blown the whistle and didn't expect me to be on the train and then I made it on the train um, and then, and so I had all sorts of empathy and understanding for him just days later. And on top of that, I got a little more honest with myself. I said, you know, Amy, if you think about it, what you said to him 
probably sounded really snarky because we both know he wasn't planning to hold the train for me. And I come out saying, thanks for holding the train for me. So of course that could sound snarky. And then was a sort of a realization of maybe I was kind of annoyed at him that maybe it, even though I wasn't conscious of it, maybe I was being passive aggressive. Like, ha ha ha. I made it on my train on the train, even though you didn't want me on it. And so by me, as soon as I could, reflecting on giving myself so emergency empathy and some gentleness and not excusing my behavior, it helped me to open up all sorts of possibilities. So that, even though I would not like to relive that experience, and I hopefully I won't have to run into that train conductor again anytime soon, I was really thrilled with all the discoveries I got from that. There's a couple of things that story illustrates for me. One is the aspect of self-management, that, that quadrant of emotional intelligence, where after the fact, you kind of realized what was going on. You were shooting all over yourself <laughs> in the sense of, I should have done the model. I should have done what I tell clients. I should have done you know, what an expert would have done. Mm. So you self-managed and said, that's not really helpful. And I often say to people, it's not about changing who you are. It's about being yourself with more skill. And you were illustrating the skillful element there of, you know what? That wasn't my best self. What would I do differently? How do I want to be next time? Showing empathy. What if I put myself in his shoes? How might he have been feeling? So that whole reflective layer is a huge part of emotional intelligence and people skills and, frankly, of leadership. Being reflective to your impact and how you can learn from it. I also love your aspect of self-compassion. When you start to notice that inner critic, how do you be a bit kinder to yourself? Yeah. And Dr. Neff, who's written the book on self-compassion, she actually says, physically give yourself a hug. Yes, I've heard this. And even if you're in your meeting and it would look silly if you're giving yourself a hug, <laughs> you, can, you can put your hands on your rib cage, yeah. like you're crossing your arms and just yeah. do a little squeeze. Yeah. And we know that self-compassion will actually drive more motivation rather than demotivation is what she says. Oh, that's gorgeous. I forgot about the, the uh, self-hug. That's a good one. Especially yeah. with COVID, you know, especially if you don't have a, a honey bunny to give you a hug, you know, we, we should all be given more self-hugs. <laughs> yes. When you come home and realize, oh, I wasn't being my best self and I'm a bit down on myself. Well, love on yourself then. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And, uh, and something that towards the end of your book, uh, oh, you know what, before I, I want to read a quote from someone who read your book. Um, this is a, by, a guy by the name of Graham White said this, alongside this experience, I believe that each reader will have an exciting journey through each of the 10 principles. For me, principle eight on courage and vulnerability remains the most impactful as I endeavor to better understand the linkage between these two elements. But I don't want to reveal anything more as the construction of the book is clearly designed to take you on a journey of self-awareness, if not awakening. So I will let you find out more about that linkage when you read it for yourself. That was just a delightful testimony that I came across. And with that in mind, towards the end of the book, you, you know, we've heard a lot about gratitude, and the importance of gratitude. And you talk about, you know, recording it, writing it down and 
um, doing it in the evening. And you, except you take it to a whole nother level of specificity and customization. So tell the readers about what you suggest when they write their nightly gratitude. So I'm a fan of gratitudes. I've been doing them myself since the early 90s, saw it on an Oprah Winfrey show, started doing it and have done it pretty much every day since, give or take. (laughs) To me, there's a lot of elements. Writing it first off is key so that they're not just fleeting thoughts in your mind, but your hand and your eyes are actually engaged in the process, not just your mind. What do you have to be grateful for in your life? What do you have to be grateful for about yourself? What do you have to be grateful about a partner or a family member? And then share that with them. So again, on my website, you can download for free the template that I suggest people use for gratitudes. It's what has evolved for me over time of doing this. And what it's done for me is I now go through my day noticing when I'm grateful for something yeah it just spontaneously I'll just kind of go oh wow that's wonderful that that's the way it is or that's wonderful that person opened the door or that that person smiled or that that piece of work came to me it just changes the lens through which you see the world at least it has for me yeah yeah and this thing about um what you talked about like the worst thing that happened for the day and how that gets you to be able to release it. You know, you think, oh, well, isn't that a bad idea because you'll be focusing on it. No, it's like you acknowledge it, you let it go. Because I know that sometimes I'll be in this, I'll I'll be in a bad state and then all of a sudden I'm searching my brain, what is it, why, why, why? And then when I name like, oh, it's that thing. Okay, now I can let it go. I've put it on my list. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So, and as we're starting to wrap up, um, I want to reiterate to listeners that my call for action is that you go to Anne's website and download the first chapter, which is free to do and do the exercises around increasing self-awareness. And you can get that link or directly on Anne's website, directions-coaching.com. And from my side, I'm going to encourage listeners to also drop me a line with your communication challenges, your mishaps, your conundrums, your successes. And you can do that at amy at carolcoaching.com. And that's with two R's and two L's. And what I'll be doing is sharing them on future episodes. So if you don't, if you want to be anonymous, just let me know. I won't mention your name and we can talk about your own challenges and breakthroughs with greater emotional intelligence, giving feedback, um, creating your own gratitude list, and staying more partner in all areas of your life. And also, you know what? (laughs) This is so funny. One of the things I had said was I want also to invite people to give me feedback about the show, what works, what doesn't work. How perfect to suggest this on this episode with you, Anne. So, Feel free to use the same email and let me know what you think about the show, what you want more of, what's working, what's not. You can connect with me on my other social media channels, Amy Carroll Coaching. And Anne, thank you so much for today. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Amy. It's been great for me too. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in next week when I interview a socially conscious woman on her recent discovery about her white privilege. 
Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good. Good.